Look at Bill running the whole studio there by himself. Um, I'm nervous, man. The last two, we had some great guests and it got screwed up, you know? There's a lot going on over there. <laughs> Need He's to hire not... you a young, cute blonde to do it for you. That way you That's can just true. talk in the mic. I think, I think we are live, fellas. All right. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Police Off the Cuff After Hours. My name is Mark DeMeo. I'm your host, my co-host, and my partner in all things law enforcement, the very handsome Bill Cannon. What's up, Bill? So happy to be here. So happy. It seems that so far we don't have any technical problems like we had the last couple of weeks. You're right. We need an engineer, you know. <laughs> but we're doing it. We're doing it. And we got a great guest tonight. Um, he's coming to us from Missouri. He's a, he's a coroner. He has a, a podcast called Coroner's, Coroner Talk. Yeah. Yep. Um, he also, uh, are you the, uh, the, the director of uh, Death Investigation Training Academy? Yep. I sure well. am. Sure enough. And he's here to us, coming to us from Missouri. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. I, I appreciate the invite. I, I'm going to enjoy this. Darren Drake. I didn't say your name. Nope. No R. Dake. What? No R. Dake. Dake? Yes. Yes. That's like the what famous I... that Cornell wrestler that was a four-time NCAA champion. You related to him? No. Kyle Dake? No, I didn't think so. No. <laughs> Not that I know of. Well, it's good to have you. Is that a is that a what kind of background is that that you, you picked out there? Uh, that is my real background. Oh really? Oh, that's yes. so cool. It looks almost like a, you know, like a green screen background, and that's that's nope. a. That's that is a, that is that is truly the the wall of my office, and that so that's uh what that's a wolf right? Coyote. A coyote. All right. See, I'm a city guy. In, in New York City, he was going to say that's a dog, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's a Central Park took, West dog, isn't it? He took one too many chickens, and now yeah. he's going to stand there for that's, years. <laughs> that's a rich lady's dog from Central Park West. <laughs> what is that? Is it German Shepherd? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's, a, it's a miniature German Shepherd. Thought it was a pimple. So, uh, so that's a that's a real thing. You caught that? You go hunting? Is that you're into hunting? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah, I hunt fish. Yep, all that. And then on on that side yeah. over there, that's uh, the deer I killed two years ago. And so we had a European mount, but I just put it in a setting rather than hanging on the wall. Where um, where do you? What's the area like where you live? You know, I'm about 80 miles out of St. Louis. So, you know, St. Louis is all real populated and we've got some suburbs. But then as you get out to where I'm at, you know, we've got a lot of rural land. But we own, my family owns a farm about two more hours from here, about uh, 1,200 acres. And so we hunt there a lot. So, Oh, that's cool, man. Yep. And you grew up with that? Grew up with that. Grew up farming, um, milking cows. My uh, uncle and brother-in-law have dairy farms. I just uh, grew up a farm kid. So the uh, the idea of seeing dead stuff, uh, you've been seeing that since you were a kid. Is that is that um, start out with cats? <laughs> Hope you didn't start killing small animals because that's just one of cats. the indicators of a serial killer. Yeah, yeah, I didn't catch them on fire. I just killed them. There oh, wasn't okay. a cat. There wasn't a cat uh, safe in our farm. Oh, good, Darren. Let me ask you something now. In New York City, a medical legal investigator <laughs> must be a physician's assistant. That's the criteria educationally to become a medical legal investigator. Is that true in Missouri also? Uh, no, it's not at all. But, but I also don't understand. You you said to to be an MDI that works for the for the New York City 
medical office examiner's chief, office? Yeah, office of the chief medical examiner. Yeah. And, and all the all their investigators are also PAs because yeah, we've had uh, students go through our academy, and I didn't know they were PAs. Yeah, they're uh, physicians assistants. I, I didn't. That's I didn't realize that. In New York City. Yeah. So they oh, have. That's a hell of a lot of education for a job that doesn't pay all that much. Exactly. Yeah. I, I didn't know the students that took our program was a physician assistant. I, that's crazy. Huh? Well, what now, level of education uh, do you have? Cause we might kick you off the show if you don't have So <laughs> yeah. So, um, I, I, I quit high school in 10th grade, the game of the job. I'm good just, to go. Just like hanging out around dead bodies a lot. Yeah. I was the only one to take it. Uh, no, I mean, I've got college and criminal justice and I've spent my entire life as a, police detective working sex and death. Um, when I made a lieutenant, I was able to give all the property crimes off to everybody else. I enjoyed sex and death, uh, not always in that order. And then I just continued to then work with the coroner's office. And then when I retired law enforcement, I'm teaching full time. And of course, I'm the elected coroner in our county. So um, I've got a lot of training in death investigation, criminal investigation. So, um, you know, my, my but I'm not a physician's assistant by no means, but right. Yeah. Well, that's the there's a big difference between smaller towns that have the right. coroner system and ones that have the office of the chief medical examiner. Yeah, and uh, even even the office of medical examiners are different. You know, New York. Uh, first off, let's just say this: New York has 31 different genders, so they're already confused. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, in other parts of the country, like Missouri, there's medical examiners in Missouri as well, and their investigators don't have to be physician assistant. They just have to have um, you know, certain criteria, certain training, usually they want them to be ABMDI certified within a couple of years, things like that. But, um, I don't know of any that require physician assistant, except you're saying New York, but yeah, that's, I mean, that's what I was told by yeah. the MLI that responded. Yeah, so generally, generally most of them, uh, will require a, a, a college degree of some kind. Um, and it can be, criminal justice or it can be anatomy, physiology, anthropology, all kinds of stuff, or uh, like five years experience and things like that. So a lot of the places, even the ME offices don't always require college hardcore. They say we want it, but we'll also accept these things, which equal to it. So right. that's, that's most of the country. So you get a hell of a lot of on the job training. That's what you're trying to say. Yeah. Right. Right. Now they want you to come with some education and then, from there, of course, you're going to pick it all out of it up when you start working. We had an Emmy on the show, Barbara Butcher. She was uh, she worked with us. Great, great lady. And she talked about in her childhood how for some reason she was she would she was fascinated with uh, finding out, cutting op animals open and finding out what's yeah. going on inside. And she had her uncle uh, order her uh, little animals in formaldehyde so she can dissect them. Yeah. And I guess you're you're introduction was hunting then right did you go hunting yeah. with your dad and see oh yeah yeah right and i grew up hunting since i was you know six years old but but i don't know that the hunting part i i knew that i always wanted to be a police officer so as i got as i got older i joined the army to be a military policeman from there i was a civilian policeman and i and throughout the first few years of being a patrol officer i realized i was good at investigation so that kind of took me into solving a lot of cases. I was one of the youngest detectives, you know, made detective and then sergeant moved up from there. And because of that, as I started investigating crimes, you know, I started realizing, well, wait a minute. I, you know, I like the sexual assaults and the rapes the child molestations and death cases. I'm better at that. I mean, I, I can work those. And a lot of the guys are like, man, I don't want to be around dead bodies. Well, I wanted the puzzle and I wanted to figure out what happened. I wanted to get answers to the family. So I think it was more of, 
once I started in law enforcement, I found the niche that I enjoyed and then dedicated my life that direction. Some guys like, you know, traffic cops, some like, you know, property crimes, some like vice. I just always like sex and death. Now, let me ask you something. Are your, is your homicide unit and your sex crime unit, are they integrated? Are they together? Yes, they're the same. See, in New York yeah, City, yeah. They're, they're very much separate. And, yeah, uh, right. And but but, you know, that's a huge department. But right. right. And and a lot of the bigger cities are. I mean, we got some cities around here where when you have you have multiple detectives that are. But but majority of the country, um, you know, there's like twenty one thousand five hundred police agencies, I guess. Majority of them have less than 10 officers right. in America. So and when you have an off when you have a department that has, you know, 30, 40, 50 people, uh, officers, you're only going to have two or three detectives. They're going to have to work everything. Yes. Yeah. But, you know, there, there, there are definitely two distinct different types of investigation. Absolutely, they are. You know, different yeah. skills. And so yes. I would think, to you know, I, I worked in uh, a unit called Manhattan North Homicide Squad. And on the same floor was Manhattan Special Victims. Yeah. And I always, uh, and I've said this before, I've always admired the sex crime detectives because yeah. They had a very specific skill set, uh-huh. but they were excellent, excellent investigators, you know. Right. They had right. a lot of patience, you know, because they had to talk to children a lot. Yeah. They had to talk right. to people that lied to them a lot, you know, yep. which also well, does a homicide investigator, but sure. special victims seem to have that at a much higher level than any other crime. Right. Well, you know, homicide, detect- if, I, if I commit a homicide, I'm, I'm scared about going to jail. That's that's the main thing. If if I've committed a sex crime, not only am I afraid about going to jail, there's also a lot of taboo around it. So right. I don't want to be known as a child molester. Okay, you caught me. You know, I I, I killed a guy that that uh, did me wrong on a on a dope deal or whatever it was. You know, but they're going to be more reluctant when you're talking to them on the child sex side. You know, or or even rape of of adult woman. I mean, that's there's taboo to that more so than just you know I murdered somebody for whatever reason. Right. Yeah. Hey, let me ask you a question. Well, this is probably something that everybody wants to know. Why does the coroner's report take so long? Right? Well, usually, yeah, it, and I'll tell you why. A lot of times it's because there's a couple of reasons. One, when you're dealing with medical examiners, they're way behind. There is not enough of them in the country. So they're cutting bodies as fast as they can all day long. Well, then they have to take some time to sit on actually, I mean, they've recorded it, but they have to write the report, do their report, but they're so busy cutting bodies, they don't always have time to do that. Plus, they're waiting on toxicology. They're waiting on histology. Sometimes they have to send the brain off to have some anal- analysts uh, or, uh, you know, toxicology labs are behind. I mean, you know, it only takes, you know, so long to do toxicology, but you might be 60 days away from your number coming up. So it takes a long time sometimes to get that stuff done just because there's so many going through the system. And now with the opioid crisis, it's, it's quadrupled or more. You know, one of the things I think that our listeners, uh, and it's always confusing to uh, anyone that follows uh, even these homicide shows, and that's the manner of death and the cause of death. Would you right. explain that to our listeners? Absolutely. So so the cause of death is is what started a chain of, of morbid events that led to your death. So um, so if I get shot in the head, then the gun, the, then the cause of death would be gunshot wound to the head or gunshot wound to the central nervous system, however you want to say it. But then there's a manner of death. Well, in that, there's five manners. There's natural, accident, suicide, undetermined, and uh, um, homicide. 
homicide. Yeah, I missed that one. So, so the thing is, it's not going to be natural, right? We're going to try to make it not be undetermined. So now we left with accident, suicide, or homicide. So just because there's a gun, it could be any of those three. Maybe I killed myself. Maybe it was an accident. Maybe someone shot me. Uh, so there's a there's a lot that goes into manner of death. Uh, you know, uh, just like if, if someone, if, you know, I, I ran over my girlfriend with a truck. It was okay the first time it was an accident, but when I backed up, that probably wasn't an accident. But what caused the death was probably like, you know, an aorta separation or dissection or something. But the manner would most likely be homicide if I backed up. Yeah. And another thing that people don't really realize is that the definition of homicide is just death caused by another. Yeah. It, doesn't it doesn't imply criminality. No. So when the press puts out that a cop shot and killed a guy that charged at him with a knife and it's been ruled a homicide, the public automatically thinks that it's criminal. Uh-huh. And well, that's I, what the media wants them to think. Yes, of course they do. But just, again, the definition of homicide is death caused by another. Right. And right. it doesn't and necessarily have to be criminal. Right. Right. Exactly. No. Uh, and, and, and a lot of times, you know, it is justified or the person, you know, a police 99.9% .9 of all police shootings are justified. So yeah, it's homicide, but it's still justified homicide. Well, if someone breaks into your house and, and, you know, they're, they're attacking you and you kill them, that's homicide, but that, but, but that's going to be fine. That's justified because you're in fear for your life. Right. Okay. I'll give you a scenario. You're the coroner. And you have you get the George Floyd case. Uh, oh boy, we're going to get kicked off YouTube. <laughs> There's going to be a lot of pressure on you right now. It's a two-part question. There's going to be a lot of pressure on you to come up with the answers that, you know, the pub, you know, you know the pressure that's going on with this case. Right. And the other, the flip side is, um, being hired to dispute because you're an expert. Um, now you're being hired to dispute the coroner's report. Tell us both mm -hmm. so, but the, both of those sides. And can you guys get along? <laughs> well, if, if everybody's doing their job correctly, we can get along. I mean, part of the part of the problem is people who are hired to dispute uh, uh, an autopsy case. A lot of times is they're pay to play and no no one person intended here, but sometimes they're pay to play. So if you know, I'm I've hired I'm a consultant and I'm hired by other agencies, but I but I've told them I'll give you my opinion. I'm not pro or against prosecution. So can we get along? Yes, except that a lot of times if we make a ruling of something, if the defense hires somebody um, to look at the report again and they come up with the same conclusion that I did, the defense won't use them. But if they come up with something separate, then obviously we're going to be at odds because they're going to call me a buffoon and an idiot because they don't agree with my findings. But generally, generally that's because um, they're, they're interpreting it the way they want to interpret it for the scenario. So, and, and in my case, I don't care. And I've addressed similar situations, not, not national level, but I don't care the outcome. I honestly, am going to tell the truth as to how we see it and the findings that we find, give me new evidence. I'll change my ruling, but I'm, I'm not going to slant it one way pro con. This is what it is, but that's the only way you can be in our industry or we should be in our industry. Right. So that's why if I was a defense attorney, I'd probably hire three coroners. Hoping to get the, the, yeah. the answer that I want out of at least do. one of them. And they do. And and uh, the other two I won't use. Right? That's what they do. Yes. Well, I've got attorneys contacting me and they send me all the information and I tell them, <laughs> I will give you my opinion. It may not be what you want, but you can either use me, not use me. or And then what, a couple of them have said, look, I want the truth. 
I can go back to my client and say, look, bud, you're going to have to plead or we know we have a case. I just want you to tell me the truth. And those are the attorneys I like to work with because then I can just give them my opinion and why I base it on that opinion. And then they can use that as they, as they want to. And 99% of the time, they, they discussed it with their client and said, look, this is, you know, we've hired an independent. You're screwed, dude. Let's take a plea. And now, that's really what they want sometimes. When you say use you, you're talking about actually testifying in court, right? Yeah. Yeah. And you, I don't do that in month. Missouri. But, you're going huh? to get paid for your opinion. I, but, yes. But now you're going to get extended paid because now we're going to use you in court and that could drag right. on. So that's, that's right. probably the motive for wanting to be used. Right. Yeah, I guess. I mean, so I don't I can't do that in Missouri, uh, but I've done some cases out of California and some out of Texas. I've never I've never been called out there. I, I you know, I have a fee for for giving my opinion. And then I ha then if they want to bring me out there, of course, it's going to cost them a lot more. But my opinion has been enough. They've they've either, you know, pled the case or they just decided not to use me or whatever. And, and that's fine. But but yeah, I mean. I, I'll give my, I would just as soon give you my opinion and stay right here in Missouri. I have no interest in going to California and testifying regardless of the money. But right. if you want my opinion, I'll give you the honest opinion and you do with that as you please. Well, some things like uh, DNA are such an exact science that it's yeah. sort of hard to argue it because, you know, it might be one trillion to one that it's this guy, yeah, you know, yeah. but I think then, that they, then they argue a collection. Yeah. Or, or, the, or the sample was tainted or whatever they yeah. want to say with that. Or else they just bore the shit out of the jury for three weeks to the point where their brains don't work anymore. That's like right. they, they did on the OJ case, right? Yep, exactly right. Yeah, but that case also had some problems because because it was proven that there was blood planted. Well, you prove one thing that was done wrong, it don't matter what you do right, it's done. Nobody's right. gonna believe you at that point. You know. Where did they plant the blood? Well, the some of the blood drops that was found, some of OJ's blood that was found in the scene already had sodium fluoride um, fluoride in it. And it was the per anticoagulant preservative from when they when they took his blood for sample. Well, that don't naturally come out of your body. So no. that some of the drops they found had that. Well, that got brought up. So that doesn't mean that everything was bad. Bring up one bad thing they found. And that's why Furman got in trouble. But yeah, well, the other thing is, and I'm sure you've heard this before, is the term CSI effect. Oh, my Lord, yes. Yeah, and that's the effect where everyone in the public is an expert from watching all of these police mm -hmm. shows, forensic files, there's millions of them, law and order. Yeah. Everyone's an expert. So they think in absolutes. So mm -hmm. if there's no fingerprints on the scene, this guy must not have done it. There's no DNA right. on the scene. This guy must not have done it. And I've seen scenes that had no DNA, had no fingerprints, but the guy absolutely did do it, you know? Absolutely. And they all want it done in 45 minutes, and they don't know why it takes us six weeks, eight weeks, a month, two months, six months to, to solve it. They think 45 minutes and we're done. Right, right, exactly. You know, when I tell them, when I tell them it could take me up to six months to get, a, to get to all the DNA analysis done, they're just dumbfounded. They don't take, it, the procedure don't take that long. It just takes that long for my case to come up in the number. Uh, my turn when you're when you're being asked uh for your opinion uh in a case you're just going based off of the paperwork that was supplied by the original original coroner right yeah uh, or, or the police reports a lot of times when, a, when an attorney wants my opinion they send me the original coroner report medical records photographs police reports they send me everything of discovery that they've received and they send that to me and then uh, and then i 
they what they'll ask me the question. I want to know these questions, well, three, four, five questions. So then I'll answer those questions, yes or no, uh, based upon that. And in my and in my opinion, I say, you know, based upon the information you provided, the question you ask, here's my answer. I mean, I, I I can't if you if you left something out, you left something out. But based upon what you gave me, this is my opinion. It does it make a difference if you're actually the person working on the body? The, does it make much of a difference? Um, Sometimes. Yeah. I mean, it depends on what the question is. You know, so one, one of the one of the it may be a question like, is it possible that this could have been that somebody could have been stabbed in this direction in this manner? Is it possible? OK, yes or no. Yes, it's possible because blah, 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 blah. I mean, that's some of the so like that was a question one time, you know. But, you know, one, one of the things that I love to say to people is that people lie. Science doesn't. You know, right. and the, a perfect example of that was the Michael Brown case, which, you know. Oh, yeah. The spent Very shell well. was found in the car. The blood was in the car. The cop told the truth. There was no hands up, don't shoot. You know, so science showed that he and his friend, well, he didn't testify, but his friend, who was the main witness, who was involved in the robbery with him, was lying. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Yeah. And uh, that's a beautiful thing when you can have science say, no, that's not what happened. Oh, well, how do you say, how do you know that? He said it happens. Well, because the evidence speaks louder than a human being. Yeah, absolutely. Every time. Yeah. You know, and that's that's a beautiful thing when that happens, you know. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, yep. I want to ask you, too, in my homicide career, which I, I did 16 years in the detective bureau out of my 27 years, when I was in homicide for 10. I only came across one autoerotic asphyxia case in my entire yeah. career, yeah. which I surmised they must be somewhat rare. Then. Yeah, they are. They are pretty rare. I teach on that topic and I've got a lot of. Um, officers around the, the country that has sent me some of their cases and has discussed some of their cases with me. And so I, I use some of those examples in, in our training, uh, but, but they are rare, uh, but they do happen. Can you explain to our audience what that is? I don't know if everyone knows what that is. So an autoerotic fatality is an accident. Uh, it's not suicide. It's an accident. And most people, if you, if you would ask them, well, certainly in police work, but if you'd ask somebody what an autoerotic fatality was, you know, they would say, well, it's somebody that um, was hanging themselves while they masturbated. And so, uh, fine, that, that's true. And ligature, ligature strangulation is probably one of the most popular. But it basically, the actual definition is someone who is alone used some type of implement to enhance sexual pleasure, and that implement misfunctioned and caused their unintentional death. It can be electrical, it can be insertion, it can be strangulation. Um, there's a lot of things it can be. Um, and boy, do I have some stories, but <laughs> it can be a lot of things. It doesn't have to be strangulation, but true enough, ligature strangulation is probably the most common because that in and of itself, hypoxia, is by itself a paraphilia, which can cause a euphoric effect and climax just by that. And from, from what I understood, and I, I don't say this through experience since I only ran into one of those cases in my whole police career, but from, from the book Practical Homicide Investigation by yes. Gebert, yep. he says that it's as common in females as in males, which I would have never thought. Yeah, so he does say that, but I don't know that I, and 
if I disagree with Vernon on anything, it might be that because he's like the God for us. Okay. So I don't dispute him at all, but I, but all around the country, when I'm talking to officers, um, I'm just not seeing that many female cases. Now I, obviously there are some, but I just don't see as many, but here's, here's something he's getting at too. And understand this, um, the way females go about it a lot of times is differently than men. And so there's not as high a level of danger. And so they are, um, they're not dying at, at, at the higher rate as men. So, so that's true. But, uh, but there's still a lot not known about it because some of these cases are being misinterpreted. There's like 15 scene features and whatever, but a lot of dis- detectives around the country may see something and not actually rule it that way because they don't really understand what they're looking at. I mean, if, if the guy's dressed in high heels and, and, and boots and or shoes and doing things with pornography and stuff, that's obvious. But sometimes it's not so obvious. Our, our case was like, like that. Like, yeah, I was dressed obvious. up. Yeah. yeah. Right. But I mean, that's sort of dangerous, very, very dangerous behavior. Yeah. You know, right. right. For a, a small thrill to risk your life, to die, to be willing to die for it, right? Yeah. Yeah. But it's, but it's something, it's, it's a paraphilia. It's something that they... They can't change. They're, they're they're attracted to it. It's just just like people are attracted to red high heel shoes. Whatever. It's their kind of thing. And uh, once it, you know, hey, this is a statement that I use with a lot of sex offenders. And this applies here too. You can quit smoking. You can quit drinking. You can quit doing drugs. You can quit stealing. But one thing you can't do is quit having sex. Now, there comes a certain age in a man's life that it makes it a lot more difficult. But my point is when you're young and you've got these paraphilias and you've got these urges, I, I mean, it controls these people. And so that number one, that helps them to get the confession point, but they're going to do it. If they, if they enjoy it, they're going to do it. So in essence, last week we had a, uh, a social worker on from California who counsels sex offenders and um, people that are involved in sex trafficking and human trafficking. Yeah. And I always thought that basically they're untreatable uh, sex offenders. That's was always my thought that, you know, you can try to help them, but they're going to still always do what they do if they're let out of prison. Well, but did she tell you, did, did she agree with you on that? Probably she not. She felt that she could help them. So, so here's, here's the thing. So, so yeah, I'm not a psychiatrist or psychologist at all, but here's what I've learned through my career. Okay. So, it's correct in one way that it's hard maybe to help them, but they have to want to have help. It's just like a heroin addict. And I say this in some of my classes. So I ask people, and I I think we're going to stay G rated here, but I ask people, okay, you're a heterosexual male. Yes. Tell me why. And you can't use physical attributes, you know, like I like, you know, boobs or whatever. Tell me why you're heterosexual. I don't know. I can't explain that. I just am right. I, I, or, or if you're homosexual, why are you homosexual? Please explain to me. Well, either why, way, you're attracted to women or you're attracted to men. Yes. Yes. So, yes. So now not rape, rape, different rape is a rape is a power thing. Rape is an anger thing. Rape is different. I molest children. Okay. This guy says, not me. This guy says I molest children. So he, if you ask him and I've interviewed thousands of them in prison, trying to understand them. And one of the things they'll say is, I don't know why I'm attracted to this age group of children. I don't know why, but I just am. 
you know, so they can. So what she's saying is, can she help them? She should be able to help them to control it. So I'm, you know, I'm a healthy heterosexual male. I legitimately could what have sex with every woman that would stand still long enough. I still have a, a moral responsibility and an ethical responsibility not to be acting out on that. Right? right. I'm married. I should. So people with um, people who are attracted to children have the same moral and ethical responsibility to control their urges, but they don't. So can they be controlled? I think so with medication and counseling and things like that. Yes. Yeah. But if they want to, yeah, but they, they have to off, want to. If they go off their meds, that's like a train wreck though. You know? Oh, sure. But, but so is a heroin addict or so's, you know, whatever. Yeah. They have to, an alcoholic, an alcoholic will never get help until he decides I have a problem and I want help. Right. Right. Mark, you, are you hiding all your ligatures for tonight? <laughs> <laughs> no, I was just, I was thinking about what you said. And, uh, you know, the only difference is that even if you were, uh, you know, promiscuous as a man, a heterosexual man, and you were married and you shouldn't be cheating on your wife. You couldn't control it, but somehow you did. It's different because at least you can get married. You can get one spouse. If you're um, a pedophile, you can't uh, um, imbibe at all. There's right. no, there's no time. Not legally. To mm -hmm. Right. Not legally. You just have no. to learn to control it in other ways. Right. I'm sure oh, there's right. plenty of people that, that actually do control it. They are asexual. Yeah. They're sure, adults sure, who sure. know yeah. what they desire. Maybe they do something in private, look at pictures or whatever, but they don't act on it with another person. Yeah, right. No, that's exactly maybe, right. Maybe and that's why uh, certain clergy members go into the Catholic priest, for example, yeah. go into that profession because they're afraid of their sexuality and they figure they can maybe hide behind the collar. But they don't always help. Well, a lot of it had to do with, especially... Uh, you know, when we grew up, like in, uh, you know, in the, in the 70s and the 80s, that uh, a lot of those priests, the question would come up if you had a son and he was like, back then it would have been 25. So how come you, hey, when's your son getting married? Does he have a girlfriend? You know, those kind of questions right. would pop up. Right. And if you didn't have an answer for that, there was an opinion made about you. But if you went into the priesthood, that was uh, that was great. You know, that was uh, you were sure. that was an honor for your family. You know, you know my, sure. my mother used to say that we were eight kids in our family, Irish Catholic family. My mother used to actually get upset that not one of her five sons became a priest. I was like, Mom, what are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> are you fucking kidding me? As we yeah. got older, you wanted yeah. one of us to become a priest? Are you out of your mind? <laughs> because to her, that was an honor. Yeah, I guess, but it sure wasn't for me. I failed out of altar boy school. <laughs> I, couldn't figure out, I couldn't figure out when to ring the bells. You know, I was like, I, I think well, I just refused to learn, you know? Well, I grew I grew up um, a Pentecostal boy, so I'm not Catholic. So that's a whole, that's the other side of the spectrum. But they still have a number of pedophiles in that religion. Oh, everything. Oh, everything, of course. And and, you know, preachers that have, you know, uh, affairs with their piano players. I mean, so it's it's so pair, you know, uh, pedophilia or any type of sex crime. It's in every industry. It's not you know, it's just whether or not the person decides to control it. And like Mark said, he's right. The, the thing is, with your with your if you're a pedophile, you don't you can't you can't have a legit relationship. And so you have to hide it all the time. And so controlling it does make it harder because you have to do other things. You know, yes. Look at the movie Saturday Night Fever. John Travolta plays Tony Monero, the best dancer in Brooklyn. And you know what? 
<laughs> he gets outshined by his brother, Father Fr Father Frank Jr. Yeah. The mother loves Father Frank Jr. because he's a priest, and then Father Frank Jr. doesn't want to be a priest anymore. My mother yeah. was the Irish version of that. And then, and then he goes, uh, she goes, like, he's sitting at the dinner table with his mother. He goes, what are you going to do? And the mother says, I got to go to church so I can go pray to God to have Father Frank Jr. call me. And he said, wait a minute, you're going all the way to church to ask God to make Father Frank Jr. call you. Why don't you just call him? Yeah, yeah, exactly. God you're operating for. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> true. How long were you saving that comedy bit for, Mark? No, that's uh, that's one of my favorite movies, and that's one of my you know that's a great. The whole movie is what one yeah. line, one great line after the other. Yeah, yeah. Make God a operator. <laughs> <laughs> let me, Darren, let me ask you something though, which is fascinating to me, and just for our listeners out there, Darren, besides being a medical legal investigator, retired, you retired lieutenant, or you're still active lieutenant? Yeah, I'm. 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 I'm not active anymore. I work part time with the the, the local PD and the sheriff's department doing some investigations, okay. but I'm basically retired. Anyway, Darren has a podcast called Coroner Talk, yep. which to me is fascinating. But I, I just picture all you coroners going to a, a restaurant one night or to a bar and all hanging out and talking about death. I think the bartender would quit after that night if he had to hear all these stories. I don't know, because that happens all the time and they don't seem to quit. They just seem to, seem to ha they hang around more sometimes. They like, they like the stories, I bet, yeah. right? Yeah. And hey, that I, is one thing about, you know, we're, you know, you guys are cops, old, old, old cops, old coroners. They'll talk about a case. Sometimes it's like, this is the weirdest freaking case I've ever hell, had. And sometimes it's to, what do you guys think? Am I on the right track? You know, you know, education peer to peer. And sometimes it's just trying to outdo each other. You think that one's good. Well, I had an XYZ and, you know, uh, you know, we, we, we try not to share names or pictures, but we tell stories very graphically. And so, yeah. <laughs> When you start out, who's the person that has to stick the thermometer up the DOA's ass? Is that like the... Uh... It's the newest of the new. That's right. Is, is yeah. that the rookie MLI? That, yep, that's the rookie. Come here, boy. I got something for you. Yeah, this is your job today. Yep. Hey, Mark, I got to go downstairs. I left some of the equipment in the car. Would you mind taking they, they the learned, DOA's temperature? They learn quickly how to do liver sticks. <laughs> hey, uh, how do you like your steaks? How do I like my steaks? Well, well, maybe, maybe a little pink in the middle, but I don't like them bloody. Really? Okay. Oh, I gosh, no. <laughs> no. I've seen too much of that. I've seen too much raw meat. I don't need to eat it. I want them well. <laughs> someone someone on, our, uh, on our Zoom live is asking us if we've had any paranormal experiences. I, for so, one, haven't. Mark, I, I have not. Well, I have not. And, and I and I keep reaching out to people and asking them because I want to do an October uh, two months of October. I want to do some ghost stories on our podcast and I can't find any medical legal death investigator or coroner or listen to our podcast or anybody else that can give me a real legit paranormal experience story. I, I've been around dead people at all hours of the day and night by myself with people in funeral homes in morgues. I have never had one do or say anything. I've never seen or heard a ghost or felt a ghost. Nothing. So. And I've been at this 30 years, so. I have. Well, we can refer you to our friend Steve DeShabi, who was a Manhattan North homicide uh, detective. He's on a show called The Dead Files. He'd okay. love to have you as a fan. <laughs> yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, yeah, that'd be great. I did. I do have a funny story for you, though. 
And year, years ago, uh, kind of along those lines, years ago, we had a gentleman that had died in the house and I had a, a fairly newer female officer there and then uh, another senior patrol officer. And so I'm doing my thing. I was I was a lieutenant detective, but I was also at the coroner's office. So I was doing my thing in the house and I said, OK, I need to run out and get some stuff out of my vehicle. I'll be right back. Just I'll be right back. So what what the thing is, I had rolled this guy over and then kind of let him back down and I needed to go get some stuff. Well, when I'd rolled him over, he'd been dead for, you know, a couple of days. And whenever I rolled him, I guess, I kind of broke the, you know, kind of like a, a, a mucus area or, or somehow the kind of kind of gotten plugged up there. It depends on how you die. Well, as he was laid back over, I was outside and getting stuff out of my trunk. And I see this female officer come running out of the house, run <laughs> across the yard, get in her car and leave. And I'm thinking, oh, they must be like a fight or a shooting or something. She's headed off, you know. I get back in the house and the senior officer is there just holding his gut, just laughing as hard as he can. I said, what, what the crap's happened? Well, because I had moved him and then kind of let him back down and those gases were built up, I guess I kind of broke that, that area, that plug, I guess. I'm mean, not really a plug, but however it was in there. And he started exhaling. Well, generally it just air comes out and you don't hear anything because right. you just start smelling stuff. Well, in this case, it started going across his vocal cords and he was going, uh, <laughs> and she was in the room by herself the yeah. senior officer's in the other room making a phone call and she heard him going <laughs> and she ran <laughs> you know that's said, ran, why don't you help him that's why like a doa is always like punishment for a new cop you know yeah, well yeah. it's really not it's just paying your dues like paying your sometimes dues. bosses use that as punishment yeah. when someone screws up all right you're going to get every doa for the next month yeah right yeah Exactly. And if, if our fans don't know, the police have to guard a DOA till it's picked up either by the funeral home or the medical examiner. So Even if it's by yourself and at nighttime in dark yard outside. And it's never, it's never a nice apartment. Never. There's always like, you know, roaches jumping all over you. It's always no. horrible. And you're hanging out to guard the, the uh, corpse till the MEO. I was, I had to guard a corpse one night for several hours until we cocked another guy out of a, uh, there was a, he was, had barricaded himself in. Anyway, I was out there sitting in the backyard, kind of with the course, but also watching the back door. And the dead guy was handcuffed beside me because the officer had shot him. Been years ago. And I'm hearing stuff rattling around. Now, understand, this is back when I was working in the country. And there was three armadillos running around, scratching the grass. And I'm out there in the dark with three armadillos and a dead guy. Oh, man. That's scary. True fact. Can't make that up. You know, the first DOA that I had, I remember I came off a foot post. I was a rookie, and when I got there, and the uh, this, the the sector was basically handing me the paperwork as soon as I walked through the door, and they said, "Keep an eye on that guy, make make sure he doesn't take off." Okay, <laughs> and then I was in this guy's house by just by myself, and he's an old man. He's he died on his uh, recliner watching the Mets. Oh. I don't, you know, I, I I totally get it. That'll That's kill the, anyone watching. Yeah, the yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and. Um, you know, the funny thing is it's it's scary and it's uh, it's scary for like for me anyway. It was really scary for like 10 minutes. And then 10 minutes later, I was just like, you know what? Let's see what this guy's got in the fridge. Yeah. I and, mean, I went, hurt you. and there was some chocolate cake there. There was milk. I cut a piece of cake. You and, ate the cake? Yeah. And I just sat next to him and I ate my cake and I watched uh, the Mets around that night, too, until the, the family came. <laughs> But yeah, so uh, you can, yeah. Now you, then they're not going to hurt you and they're great conversationalists because they will not interrupt <laughs> you. 
and, and here's still. something I learned from from being police work and coroner work at the same time for so many years. Most of them smell identical, but the dead ones don't fight nearly as bad. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Dad, how about you want to talk about uh, Sid's infant death? That type yep. of thing, responding to those kind of cases. Yep. So, you know, one thing is SIDS, sudden infant death syndrome, that's something that's going way down because we don't, um, you know, now that now over the years when they started requiring more investigation, you know, Bill, back when you started, there was a lot of SIDS cases, right? Yeah. Infants of a certain age, they just called it SIDS and moved on. Well, they realized that's probably not the case. And so now that there's more manda mandatory investigation and autopsies and medical uh, inquiries, now, SIDS cases are actually way, way down because we've actually finding reasons why people, why kids die. Well, what is um, the reason most of the time? Most of the time, well, first off, most children, most infants under uh, three years and under, and certainly down in the infants, is accident and natural. Majority die accident and natural, okay? Uh, other than homicide, you know, they're shaking babies or something like that. But some of the accident is sleeping with mom and dad, sleeping with a... A, a sibling, you know, you've got that somebody a rollover or or co-breathing. Um, sometimes, hopefully, they're learning more now. But you know, don't be putting big pillows and blankets and stuffed animals in your baby's crib. Um, and you know, w when I was raising my children, it was always um, laying them on their stomach. Now we want to lay them on their back. Right. And somewhere in the middle, it was lay them on their side. Uh, but uh, for the most part, if it's if it's an accident, it's going to be because of sleeping conditions or something like that majority of the no, time i had i did have a, bun, a bunch of cases where the mother rolled over and suffocated yeah. the baby yeah and in yeah. one case they actually charged her yeah because she was a frequent flyer it was a second yeah. flyer. well and, and sometimes it, you know if they're drunk or high or something like that they should know better right. you know but same, some things just happen and and i talked to parent groups over the years about this very thing sometimes not all the time but i have over the years a time or two uh health department brought me in or something like that and, and i would say okay if you think you can sleep with your baby they can die just from rebreathe i mean just from just from breathing their own air okay they can die very quickly i said so here's what you do you get you a you get you a nine inch cake pan you make you a cake you put a lot of frosting and icing on it you put it in your bed if you can sleep five nights without getting icing all over you your pillow your blankets then sleep with your baby but anywhere that anywhere you have frosting in the morning is what your is, is where your baby's head was. But you know, you can understand why a mother who's exhausted that maybe is breastfeeding mm -hmm. will want to keep the child in bed with her because she's just too exhausted. Sure. To sure. But now they make those now they make those side cribs that slide between the mattress and the box spring. So the baby's right beside you, but they're off the bed a little bit. Right. You're still there, but you can't roll over on them and they have their own own area. I was guilty of it, man. I I, I slept with um with my child, both the kids, uh, at some point and one at a time in, in the middle, you know, between yeah. my, and a lot of, sometimes I remember the first time my, my son actually fell off the bed in the middle of the night. Yeah. And that's pretty scary. Cause you wake up and, uh, you know, the baby's screaming, you're like, where is it? And then it's on the floor. So you just yeah. kind of, so you grab, you're feeling around, making sure nothing's broken. And by yeah. the second kid, man, you don't even, you just reach out in the middle of the, in your sleep. You just grab it, throw it back in the <laughs> yeah. bed, you know, check it for nothing. Shut yeah. up. <laughs> I remember I was sleeping in the dorms at 3280 Broadway and a drunk detective fell out of the top bunk. <laughs> <laughs> and we were like, we just said, we just put him back up there. <laughs> we go, 
somebody's gonna be really hurt because you know when you hear someone fall, that's uh, a good that's a good yeah. four and a half feet high, yeah, five yeah. feet high. Uh, you just hit, but you know, drunk people don't get hurt. You know? Right. <laughs> yeah, they say if you're drunk and you're you know with no seatbelt on, you're rolling around in there, you're all loosey goosey, you're probably gonna be fine. A lot of times that's true. Yeah. And he was he was from Manhattan Special Victims, so you know he just uh, he weathered the storm. <laughs> he just hit the floor. Yeah. Darren, so, how about uh, give us a uh, one of your greatest cases, uh, or, or something that's forensically very interesting to to our audience? You know that was solved through forensic science. Right. Well, there's a, yeah. Let's see. Um, I mean, there's a lot of them, but then you know, try to think of them right off the bat. Um. So, so one that comes to mind is a shooting. Uh, mom shot her two adult children, uh, set the house on fire, and then ultimately shot herself. But one of the children died. They were in their twenties. The other children, the other child lived, and but at the time, then he called the neighbors called nine one one. So now we had a who done it. We have a dead dead boy, a dead mom, and one living child who says, "I was just asleep, and I don't know what happened. I just woke up in pain, and and he's on the front porch with a pillow." So we have to determine who shot who, right? And so, you know, one of the one of the things that really helped us, um, he had gunshot residue on his hands, and so that that seemed like well maybe he was a shooter. But we all know when you're sleeping like this on your side, you're gonna have gunshot residue on your hand, you know. Uh, so, you know, one of the things that we did to prove whether or not she shot herself, and we believed that she'd shut the house on fire, which it just smoldered in the basement and went out. But she come around the house, saw him. Like he says, and she thought the gig was up, so she shot herself. We had to prove, is it possible that he shot her? And so uh, we had we took the vehicle and forensically was able to light the inside of the vehicle up and see all that microscopic blood spatter to show that, first off, the bullet went all the way through her into the back seat. So no, no shooter was behind her doing reach around like this, you know, um, it could have been in the back passenger seat. Well, there's no way anybody could be in the back passenger seat and reach up and shoot her in the chest. So then we had the front. So the front window and the side doors and all that all had microscopic blood spatter on it, which, which we proved then that no one else could have been in that vehicle. Now, you know, we towed the vehicle to our impound area and, you know, used UV lighting and stuff like that. But uh, and then eventually the gunshot residue on his hands did, didn't really matter. And the rest of it was a lot of investigation about what she'd been doing and what, what she was planning. But again, had it not been for the ability to see all that microscopic backsplatter, backsplatter we probably wouldn't have solved it. And usually uh, there's three types of uh, blood spatter, low, medium, and high velocity. Right? High velocity, yeah. And high velocity is caused by something moving at a high rate of speed, much like a projectile, right? Yep. And it'll and it come causes, back too. And it causes smaller droplets of blood, yep. right? Yep. Yep, exactly. Right. Right. And, you know, there's there's some of these cases where uh, here's a good one. A uh, lady was had a lot of health problems. Uh, she was in her late 50s, early 60s. I can't remember now, but a very obese lady had a lot, a lot of health problems. Her husband was a bit younger than her. You know, he was active and doing things. And and I think that she was becoming a burden on him because he was finishing up some college and he was getting a medical um, uh, or an RN degree and all this. And I think she was a burden on him because I've got a new life and, you know, my fat wife is in there, medical problems, can't go do anything. Yeah. Well, she died. 
So he, you know, he got home one night and started cooking dinner and all this for, her, and then he called 911. My wife's not breathing, blah, blah. So as we get to the scene and we're looking around, that's all okay. Everything looks fine. She's got a, she's got a list of medical problems, lots of medication. So it's very, and some heart conditions. And so it's like, it's been a really easy thing to rule this as just a myocardial or something like that. And so, but, but it just didn't really set right. So we got all the information from him. We did collect a little bit of evidence and then we did some toxicology and found out that she had died of a morphine overdose. She was not described more prescribed morphine. And at the end, because we were able to find that in her blood and some of the evidence that we took from the house, we were able to prove that he took morphine from the ER when he's on rotations, put it into a cherry slushy from Sonic, and she drank her slushy before supper, and within an hour or so, she died. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And just the whole, the, you guys went the extra step further because yeah. the situation seemed like Something just it didn't, didn't seem right. Sense. It didn't right. make sense. Instinct right. always comes in, and your instinct is always correct, right? Generally, I tell I tell officers and the coroners when I'm teaching, if you've been at this more than a minute, trust your gut, because even if you're wrong, then you've taught then you've taught your gut, right? And it's not that it's not that you're right or you know it's not that it was bad, but trust your gut because human beings have a way of looking at situations and thinking, boy, this just don't seem right, you know. So explore that. And and a lot of times you're correct. It's not right. Well, they, they always tell that if, if something doesn't seem right, it's not, right? Or yeah. uh, if it's too good to be true, it is, yeah. right? Exactly. How many times, how many times you hear that? Yeah. Darren, why don't you tell us a little bit about your university, the Death Investigation Academy? Yeah, so uh, Death Investigation Training Academy started, uh, legit started in 2015. And kind of the backstory on that is I've been, teaching academy students and stuff for 30 years just as a young cop and moved on and up and and um, a few years ago I started corner talk in 2014 the podcast because I realized that death investigation specific death investigation training wasn't very wasn't very common back then uh, and so I thought well if I could give somebody an hour a week that's something and so as it went on I started doing some lecturing and speaking around the country because I think the podcast opened doors and then I realized, wow, there's so there's a lot of police training, right? A lot of homicide investing. But the normal coroner can't necessarily go to a homicide school for police. They won't let them in because they're not commissioned police officer. Right. Uh, and so that so I started doing some online courses and some in-person training. And now, fast forward to 2020, um, we have the a Medical Legal Death Investigation Online Academy. It's a full academy. And then there's a... a certification exam at the end uh, we're able to certify you and we have our own testing board uh, and and we provide the basic for many many states corners and we just provide this continuing education for gobs of states and and, and even if we're not partnered with them um, most all states no no one's ever turned our training down and we're becoming one of the largest uh, trainers for medical legal death investigation both police and for coroner medical examiners when you say large what do you mean how many I mean, we've, I mean, we've done a, hundreds of years. Yeah, we, we, I think this year we've trained just under 200 in medical legal, the certification when it comes to that, we got 26 individual courses. I mean, I think like 4,000 this year in just wow. individual courses. So that might be, um, you know, Bill took a course on uh, motor vehicle accident injury, or, or maybe another officer took some courses on gunshot or stabbing and whatever. But, but every year we teach around 200 
certify, we certify around 200 investigators. Mark and I want to go to the uh, blood spatter where you beat the side of beef oh, with yeah. the bat. So, so funny story. <laughs> well, we do occasionally. I have, I have instructors to teach at. We were preparing for a medical legal class and we had a blood spatter component. So I was making up some blood spatter uh, sample cards, you know, poster boards. And so I'm at our academy where I'm at now. I'm outside and between the buildings, there's a grassy area. So I'm out there with my fake blood and I've got these big poster boards set up on the ground. And so I'm taking a uh, machete and I'm sticking it in my fake blood. And so I'm walking and I'm doing some 90 degree drips. I, you know, I'm you know, slopping it down and throwing it, trying to make different designs for different activity. Well, as I'm doing all this, I'm slinging his blood around and dipping it. In, and an old lady that was going down the road to get her haircut seen me slant, slinging blood everywhere and stopped. And her eyes were huge. And so, yeah, now I realized I probably need to hide that before I do it again. Well, you know what? It's, it's interesting when you know the science behind it. You go into a, a crime yes. scene and you look at the ceiling and you say, oh, those are cast off stains. Yes. Like, you know what to look for, you know? Yeah. And you see and all you count how many times a person was hit based upon the lines of the cast off. Yeah. I mean, yeah. well, if you know what you're looking for, I wasn't, yeah, great. Right. I was never great at reading the crime scene, but right. when people would explain it to me, I was like, Oh shit, that makes sense. You know? And sometimes blood spatter isn't that hard. For instance, all of my blood spatter is two foot down. Okay. From two foot high down. All right. So that means whatever took place took place down here. If I've got witnesses telling me that they were both standing up, you know, waylaying each other, I'm like, well, I mean, I'm not a blood spatter expert, but I can tell you that's a lie because all of it took place down here. So somebody right. was already on the ground before they started being beat. Right. Yeah. So even though then you've got a lot of science to goes into directions and all that, but some of it's just as easy as to saying, yeah, that didn't happen. Just like that microscopic high velocity, just knowing that tells you a lot, you know? Right. Yeah. The speed that caused like blunt trauma, uh -huh. The uh, the blood spatter, the, the spot should be much thicker than yeah. something traveling at a high rate of speed. Yeah, exactly. Right? Right. So, and then they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna be what uh, pointed toward the ground, right? Because the blood hits and then drips uh -huh. down, right? Right, right. And then you have to, you know, depending on the how the blood hits and what surface, you have angles, you know, ninety degree, 80, 60, 75, and you can kind of determine what angle they hit, and that can tell a story. You know, right. that, that can tell a story of who, where people were at or what took place during um, and how many times somebody was hit. I mean, if you got blood spatter going this way at 60 degrees, you've got another strike going this way at 80 degrees or whatever. You can tell how many times somebody was struck, even on the wall and things like that. Wow. wow. And or spear marks, you know, smear marks or white marks, you know, uh, a smear pattern my, or a white my pattern. My favorite is arterial spurting. Oh, that's pretty nice. Yep. That's my favorite. That leaves some great artistic designs on the wall. It does, man. Okay. You see it spurred up on the high up. <laughs> yep. I'm a yeah. cop. Is this, is this conversation, right? We could be part of Corridor Talk. We should go to your next your next yeah. restaurant or bar night. And you go absolutely out. should. We can tell stories, too, you know? Yeah. Is that what you, you record at a bar? No, no, no. We just brought that up because sometimes we do, we, we uh, just talk as corners, but no, every week on the podcast, we talk about a different topic all, all month or all year. We've had a different theme every month. So one month was child death investigation. One was blunt force trauma. One was, so every month of, of 2020 um, has been a theme. Some, some years we just have different guests on and we still do have different guests on, but 
uh, the main goal of Corner Talk is to every week provide some kind of training in some type of death investigation, whether it be investigating gunshot or interviewing witnesses or, or something. Um, and sometimes it's just, you know, you know, it isn't real technical. It's just basic how to go about doing something. And then sometimes I get on a rant about something and it, you know, it becomes my rant. But I and I tell people, I own the microphone. You can tune out anytime you want. <laughs> yeah, you know, one thing, Darren, I noticed too, I, I, I go on LinkedIn a lot and there's a lot yeah. of uh, stuff on there as far as uh, people talking about science and law enforcement. Yeah. And there's, there's a lot tremendous pushback against some of the technologies. For example, facial recognition. They're yeah. claiming that's biased against people of color. Um, yeah, yeah, but they're claiming. Okay, okay. I, I don't want to. I don't want to ruin your show, and I don't want YouTube to block you. But people are claiming everything is biased against people of color. Right. No, I mean, no, so there's, there's real organizations that try, are trying to look. They won't let them use it in L.A. They won't let them use facial recognition. Well, Facebook is one of the biggest facial recognition software companies in the world. Right. No, but I'm saying to use the technology to make yeah. an identification. Yeah, which which is which is silly because for years we used to you know think odontology. Well, first off, odontology is uh, our teeth teeth impressions have now that we know that that's not good science anymore. Um, but facial recognition, I'm not going to say it's DNA that that's not true, but it's but it's it's not that accurate. But it's really accurate. I mean, you know, the casinos have used it for years. Um, Facebook, uh, you can have a, a picture of a, a family picture with you and a bunch of people in your family, and Facebook's going to automatically start tagging all of them because they recognize their faces. That's pretty accurate. Pretty damn good. Well, I mean, the Zarnaev brothers from the Boston Marathon, that's how they were ID'd. On yes. You know? Yeah, I mean, I don't, well, you know, just like your iPhone, I, I know that they ain't, they ain't foolproof, but your iPhone did facial recognition to unlock your phone and if you have one of your covid-19 masks on it won't unlock it yeah how come the uh, the tooth the tooth thing isn't as good as uh, as it used to be what well they... because because the teeth impressions what they found out over the years here recently is it's it's a little bit subjective so so if you have like a tooth missing okay you can see the tooth is missing or you've got certain directions or diagonals of teeth okay that's fine but they're realizing they, they, they found some false convictions based on this because some of it is subjectiveness. It isn't like I can prove that this person bit this. It's like it appears to be. It looks like it. And if we took, put, you know, put this overlay of this clear, you know, this design over his teeth and all this, it matches. Um, but over the years here recently, we found out that a lot of those cases have been incorrect because it's because it's based upon the opinion of the odontologist. And so if they're looking at it wrong or seeing it wrong, then it's not as accurate. So now they're not, they're, they're not using it. Now, for conviction, I still believe it's a great investigative tool. If I've got five suspects and I've got good, you know, a good bite mark on a body, I'm going to want to know out of those five suspects, which ones most closely match. And that's the guy I'm going to concentrate on for now. So that's good science there, but it, I can't just convict him on that. And, you know, back in the eighties, nineties, they were convicting people on it. Now they've realized, well, that's not quite as accurate. It's not foolproof. In other not words. foolproof. Like, like, like polygraph. I believe in polygraph. I'm a CVSA operator, um, computerized work stress analysis. I 
I do that for a lot of people. I believe in it, but I also know that there's some holes in it. So right. I use it as an investigative tool, but I'd never want to send somebody to prison just on that. Well, that, that prison guard upstate was murdered by a lifer. And he was convicted based on a dental impression, among yeah. other things. Yeah, you know. and, and among other things, it's fine, but... What's that? Ted Bundy. Yeah. Ted yeah, Bundy. But, there was, but it's true, but there was other stuff about him other than bite stuff, marks. That was the first thing, Yes, that was like you said, thing. investigative tool. Yeah. You know, that was yeah. the first thing that, all right, we might get, we might actually have the right guy here. Yeah, yeah. You know, I've been out of the game for almost nine years. I retired. And I remember when we would uh, put a, a DNA case in, it could take three months, four months. Yeah. How fast is DNA coming back now? Well, you know, six months. No, but yeah. there's, a mach there's a machine that can ID it in 90 minutes. How can yeah. That yeah, that's because, you know, I, my number is 10,365. You know, yeah. next, that's how it is. It just takes a long time to get to my number because there's so many DNA cases going in. And, and, and true enough, there are some private labs that are quicker. But when you're dealing with state and government, they're using state labs or contracted labs. Well, they're behind because everybody sends it to them. Now, if we have a very fast case that we really need to do something and it's a high profile murder case, the county fits the bill and they say, OK, send it to the private lab. They're still qualified lab, but they're a private lab, which means they have 100 cases they're working out at a time, not 10,000 cases. And so I can get it back within a few right, days if I put something. a rush on it. If there was no line and it was just a test, how long would it take to get a DNA case back? So so, you know, again, like you said, probably within 90 minutes to two hours to get everything done. Well, I mean, I, I don't know, you know, and it, and it depends on if it's a touch DNA, if they've got a lot of blood, if, if it separates easy, you know, if they're trying to get DNA, a little bit of DNA off of a shirt, I mean, it can take a little longer just to spin it down and all that. So, you know, I'm careful not to wait in that too far because that's that's a kind of above my pay grade. I just collect it and send it to people who know what they're doing. Right, right. Right. And is it the uh, PCR is the, the test they do now because they can take a small amount of DNA and yeah. make it larger, right? Yeah, and they can grow it, yeah. Polymerase, not, kind of grow it. polymerase chain reaction. That's yeah, yeah, they can take right. a little and make it into something they can see bigger, yeah. I think that's where, that's why touch that. DNA works. They got better at that, I think, from 9-11 because they did so yeah. many. Yeah, DNA because they had to do so many. And uh, with DNA, of course, one thing we have to talk about is this genealogy DNA solving these crimes. Amazing. That's amazing. Oh, my land. And no one ever thought about it. No one ever thought about it until, uh, you know, the um, I forget her name. Now she died. The author and uh, that died that was looking into that case. And then there was a doctor and a police officer kind of cahoots together. And this and this DNA doctor, the genealogy doctor said, you know what? Let me try this. This might work. We've never done it. I don't know if it'll work or not, but I can tell you if people are related or not. So let me try. And he started looking through databases. And we all know the story. But and once it happened, just like the four minute mile. Four minute mile could never be done until one guy did it. Now it happens all the time. Right, right. And but you and know, but there, there is this uh, legalities to to doing out and out familial DNA, right? I don't think they'll allow you to do that. What do you mean? Well, say for example, you think a brother of of this perpetrator you're looking at, you can you get his DNA, say surreptitiously. Well. And, you run I, mean, I don't know and it, and it comes awfully close to the perp and you're like it's got to be him so i i don't know that i don't know a case law on that but 
you know, even if we don't get a search warrant, you know, you've been around long enough trash things you dispose of, you know, if I, if I think John Doe did the, did the killing and, and I know his brother over here, Jerry, and I, and I can, you know, Jerry threw away a soda cup or something. I collect that straw. If I want to pay to have it tested and find out, um, that the, I don't know the legalities of that. I'm not doing, I'm not really there. There's whether or not then we're going to keep Jerry's DNA in the, in a database without his knowledge. So we probably have to make sure that's probably where the question comes in because he hasn't been convicted of a felony and he hasn't maybe submitted his DNA to genealogy. So are we going to leave that in a database? That's probably where the court question comes up. Yeah, because those databases, uh, they're interesting because you got the, the nationwide one. Yeah. And then you have the local one. Yeah. And, uh, you know, this protocol to it. So if mm -hmm. how long does it take? Like, for example, uh, you got me, uh, you got my DNA and you throw it in there. How long does it what, that take for it to go through everyone nationwide and see if there's a match in the nationwide database? I qualify yeah, so I, for it. So I don't know. I, I, I guess that's a question I don't know. If I, if, I already, if I already have your profile and I simply enter your profile into the match, into the database and have it match, I, I don't know. I know that it isn't really very long because, again, you're dealing with a computer that can analyze thousands a second, but I, I, I wouldn't want to tell you an answer to that. I don't know. I think, I think it's easier if you have an exemplar to compare um, the exemplar against the, now the DNA yeah. that you have from a perpetrator. I think that is much easier to do than to compare it. Against well, well we, I know, I know they do comparisons. If yeah. we got a, a guy for a rape, like a pattern rape here in Manhattan, and we want to figure out maybe this guy, you know, because he's a transient, let's see if yeah. they're looking for this guy all over the country. Yep. So now we throw his uh, his DNA in there. I was just curious how long does it take for it to go nationwide before? Yeah, I don't know. Before yeah, I, I don't. I guess I don't know that answer for sure. But and I know just like with Namus and some of these other databases, you know, you put missing people in there. And if I was ever if I was to find a body or something at some point, and, and we also put that DNA in Namus, so they'll find a match. I mean, it always it's always checking constantly to say exactly how long that takes. I don't know, but um, you know the actual searching of it probably doesn't take that long because it's, it's computer databases but like you said there's a lot of databases and some databases aren't shared so but all the all these databases and all of these dna testing equipment has to get the stamp of approval by the fbi or else they're worthless yeah i guess so yeah because they, they get um but some of these, but some of these genealogy DNA uh, comparisons. Now you know now when you submit your DNA to these genealogy things, you have to, you know, check mark and submit. Yes, I know. Yes, I want my DNA left public, or no, I don't. So if you say no, you don't, then it's not compared in these genealogy searches. I However, made a serial killer. Please do not leave exactly. <laughs> yeah. So so these DNA. So but but like you said, a stamp of approval. But sometimes when we're looking at these genealogy databases and uh, we're just looking for cousins, we're looking for matches. We're, you know, just like with the Golden State Killer, the, 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 they had a lot of, they, they wore out a lot of shoes, knocking on a lot of doors, trying to narrow it down. He wasn't their first suspect, by the way. It was a cousin of his that was. And so then, but then did he live in this area? Could this person have, is he of the right age? And so they start narrowing all this down. So the, the DNA matches is going to say, here's, here's some people that are closely related to him. And they're from New York. They're from Connecticut. They're from Missouri. They're from whatever. And then it takes the detective work to track them down and find out where they were. Well, I narrow it down even more. 
a perfect example of that, I think, in special victims, when they get a hit on someone who's in prison, I think they call it a cold hit. Okay. And some of them could be 15 or 20 years old, and then they go yep. to the prison, and they got to slam the door on this guy's alibi. You know, yeah. Simply, have you ever been in 3280 Broadway? No, I've never been in that building. Do you know this woman? You don't know her. You've never seen her before. You know? And then they ask, they slam the door on all those questions, and they say, okay, how did your DNA get inside this lady if you never met yeah. her before and you've never been in that building? You know, and right. they say, hello, now you're going right. away to, you know. Right. Now, are there right. still a lot of DNA cases sitting on shelves in warehouses that haven't been tested? Well, I'm sure there is, but, you know, there's a big national push for that to change. And, and in fact, uh, there's, there's been a, a national push 20 years ago. If still yeah, but, but, but I know that I know locally, for instance, just just and it, for us locally, um, you know, the attorney general's office, they've, they're getting funded money funded. And they've hired people to, and they're checking in. And one of the things they've asked us, do we have any cases not tested? Yes, there's cases not tested. And you say, well, why didn't we test their cases? Well, sometimes these cases aren't tested because, you know, you have somebody, first off, some of them are, are very many years old, but even the ones that are only a couple years old. You know, I come in, you know, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a young girl and I, get, I claim that my boyfriend pushed me or, did, or forced me or did this or did that or whatever. Um, and, and then, but, 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 you know, you go to the hospital to get a rape kit done, to get all that. And then by the time it's all said and done over a couple of days, like, well... You know, maybe, you know, not really. I was just mad at him. Well, now we've got this kit, though, but we can't throw it away. So then they say, well, was this tested? No, it's not tested because she backed off her story right. or whatever the case may be. There's several, you know, examples like that. Well, well they want all those tests. They do in Manhattan with a case like that. They lock her up. <laughs> oh, yeah. A lot of times they do now charge report. them. They want mm -hmm. to discourage those false reports, you know. Right. Guess right. what? You're getting arrested because you just made a false report. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Right. So well, some of the, there's sometimes those are the reasons why some of these cases aren't tested or um, you don't have a suspect. Now, nowadays, we would never do that. But, you know, 15 years ago or so, you know, someone says they were raped. They don't know who did it. And so you go to the hospital, they get a rape kit, but they don't send it in because they don't have a suspect. So the 15, 20 years ago, the thinking was, well, we'll hold it. And then if we get a suspect, we'll right. send it in the match. Well, if, you know, all of a sudden, 20 years later, these things aren't tested. Well, now that there's a big push to get them tested, now they're linking cases together. Oh, my God, this guy's raped 20 women. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it leads us to this point of the show, probably the most important question of the night. Um, since you're a coroner, I have to ask you this. Uh, what is your favorite episode of Quincy? <laughs> well, I, you know, I watched, I have watched Quincy when I was younger, but I guess I couldn't tell you an episode though. I thought it was a great show. No, because you mentioned about, uh, you know, he did it all. And not only was he did it all, he was the coroner, yeah. but then, you know, he was in foot pursuits and yeah. he was, you know, throwing cuffs on people. And you mentioned, um, you know, doing the coroner's report or, and then going out and doing some investigation on top of it. That's basically right. what he did. Yeah. You know, right. Uh, right. And, and to your point, some places are still not quite like Quincy and Quincy was a CSI effect back then, as we have today, that was there, you know, yeah. but you know, to your point, sometimes like New York is a little, is a little bit different probably because they're so busy, but there's a lot of places where, so, you know, an MDI uh, uh, may work for a uh, medical examiner's office, go to a scene, work with the police, deal with the body. But then the MDI may have to go and talk to family about, you know, medical history and things like that or uh, suicidal ideations. They go get medical records. 
Uh, maybe when they're there, they find out something else or they go talk to somebody or whatever. And they're not they're, most of the time. They're not placing cuffs on too many people. But there's a lot of places in the count in this in a country, though, where the coroner is also commissioned deputy sheriff or police officer in that area. So maybe they they are doing dual roles sometimes. It's pretty cool. Yeah. And how about that show um, where he was uh, he was the he used to kill serial killers. But he was wasn't he a coroner first too? Dec I don't know. You're talking about um, you're talking about Dexter. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if he was a coroner or not, but Dexter's kind of a hero of mine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You see? <laughs> <laughs> not really, but yeah. <laughs> well, we reached the hour, man. And uh, Bill, you know, we got an announcement. Um, you know, we, we got a, a new Patreon customer. They're, they're trickling in one at a time, but we're happy to have them. So we want to give you a shout out. Uh, Bill? I forgot his name. Oh. <laughs> you have it written down? Well, I, well, we got our Patreon right here. But in the meantime, uh, we have Patreon. Darren, do you do Patreon? No, I used to uh, years ago, but um, I haven't done it in years now. I mean, again, the, you know, now now the podcast is kind of absorbed by the Academy. And so the Academy takes care of all the expenses associated with the podcast. So that's great. That's great. We're trying to we're trying to become big stars in the podcasting. We're trying to become podcasting moguls. Well, I, and 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 after so many years of podcasting myself, I'm still on a mogul. But I'll tell you this: consistency is the key. Hell you know, I, I've missed week. I've missed a week here or there. I mean, uh, something happens, vacations, I might get sick or whatever. I've I've missed that. Uh, but consistency is the key. If you're going to be a weekly show, try your darndest to be a weekly show because then it starts to build. You know, yeah. and yeah. you'll you'll not see any your your show will grow, 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 grow. But then if you start, you know, maybe have merchandise, maybe you start doing more stuff, maybe you actually become big. It's going to take legit. Don't look back in disgust until you're like two and a half years in because yeah. it takes that long. The wheels turn slow. Yeah, we're, we're a year and a half in. We have over 100 shows already. Though. Yeah, yeah, no, you're doing good. So Ryan you got another Dwyer. year and you'll see more traction. Do what? Yeah. Ryan Dwyer, William Ryan, Carlos Reigns. Reigns. Uh, those are our new Patreon customers. Want to give you a shout out, give you a big thank you. They all did uh, the dipped in butter. <laughs> uh, Darren, you're not aware of this, but we have three different tiers. One of them is uh, the seven dollar. That's the uh, the bucket. <laughs> and if you can join, you get a uh, you get behind the wall. Then the uh, it's nine dollars to to polish Bill's rack. <laughs> and uh, for eleven dollars, you 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 know you're dipped in butter. Your balls are dipped in butter. <laughs> balls are dipped in butter. <laughs> So do we have to pay for our own airfare to get there or how's that work out? <laughs> yeah. You know, Darren, you're a fascinating guest that we definitely down the road love to have you back. If you'd like I would love to, to. Back on, you know? Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, you know, there's so many topics we could cover in the forensic mm -hmm. world and in the world of medical legal investigators, in the world of homicide, in the world of sex crimes. I mean, yeah. And I don't know who your demographics are for sure on your show. Um, but, you know, we could we we could keep it at least PG, not R. But there are, you know, I could even do a case one day and show some screen share and show some pictures. That'd now we would cool. keep it. We would we would keep it a bit PG so we don't cross too many boundaries and, and, and whatever. But I mean, you know, if if that's something the audience would be interested in, we can hide. It's not about the identity of the person, but wounds and how things work and things like that. They might find that interesting. No, if, that would, that would be that would be fascinating. Yeah. Most right. of all, build, build the cops, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. So. Bill has a, a true crime uh, episodes that he does on the Patreon. 
And I worked at, I used I worked at as a, as an instructor for the detective bureau and I used to coordinate our homicide course here in New York. Nice. And there was weeks of what you're talking about, you know, what so do you, do you all know Joe Joe Jackalone? Yes. Yeah. Friend of mine. He was my boss. Friend friend of mine meaning more of a virtual friend, but we have each other's cell phone numbers. So we can, <laughs> you know, I think in today's world, in this internet world, I can call you a friend, but if I got your cell phone number and I can call and you pick up, maybe that's a better friend. But, yeah, but Joe was really instrumental in, in helping us get a magazine off the ground that we've since stopped producing. Um, I, I'm in his book. Uh, I've got some pictures and some things in his last uh, book. And so I, and I've put a, uh, a lot of students between because he teaches it at, at uh, John uh, Jay. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. so, but anyway, I love Joe. He's been in my show a couple of times. He's fantastic. And as a boss, I, 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 he probably was a strict boss, but I bet he was pretty fun. No, he was in, no, he was good. He was good. He just, uh, and he was one of these bosses. He didn't, he, he, he probably do everything himself if he could. Yeah. He's right. just get out of his way. I'll do it. I'll, oh, I, 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 I'll yeah. Do it. I, I've come over the years to really enjoy him. He's a great guy. You know, here's a funny story. I, uh, I got to uh, the training unit. I was in the detective squad for five years and I was, I wanted to get out of there in the worst way, man. It was just right. too much work for me. And I was, I was a comedian at the time and I wanted to be out at night, you know, doing, telling my jokes. So I got a job, right. I got a training unit and Joe was my boss there. And upon arrival, he said to me, um, you got to do, uh, you got to create an hour lecture to do for, uh, for training. So I was like, all right, what should I do it on? And then he goes, uh, well, what, what did you do in the squad? I said, I was on MySpace a lot. And he goes, all right, do it on there. I was like, what? He goes, do it on how to catch bad guys in MySpace. So that's what I did. I created this uh, how to catch bad guys off of social media. And it was the first of its course in the NYPD. And then I had to do it for uh, the chief of detectives. And it became part of the homicide course. And I used to go and I used to tour with it through the different set it up for different detective squads introduce them to twitter facebook because a lot of these guys were old timers yeah so yeah joe was joe was my boss and he was a great guy and um you know i had a show i i had him on my show uh at the same time i I had bill on my show i used to have a show uh years before and and joe was on there great guy oh yeah he really is a great guy for sure so uh any parting words bill no, Darren, this has been fascinating. And as I said, I'd yeah. love to have you either back on our police off the cuff after hours or we could do a real crime show. That either, would be- either, either way, I'm up for it. Um, you know, cool. I, I, I podcast gobs, gobs on my own, so I love being on these shows. So just let me know. I can come on anytime. That'd be great. All that's right, guys. I, I really, that's it. This was, it was you were you got great anything? guest. Darren, you, got you were a great guest. Darren, Thank you. You got anything to plug? I, you know, just, uh, the training. I mean, if first off corner talk podcast, you can find that like you'd find your podcast anyway, corner talk. Uh, but then, you know, uh, the, the death investigation training Academy, um, we're number one on Google, just type in death investigation Academy will come up. Um, and you know, if you're a police officer out there or, or want to take some online training, we've got like 24, 25 online courses. Um, they're all, you know, most of the states are post-certified some they'll accept and, and some you have are, are specific. Um, it all explains all that. So, I mean, you know, a lot of training on there. I mean, if you want to learn some child death, if you want to learn auto erotic, if you want to learn you know, gunshot, we got all kinds of courses on there and online is means you can say at your home and do it. So, yeah, that's great. Thanks a lot for joining us. Darren. Yep. You were a, all right. Thank you. Were you. A great, great guest. Well, we'd love to have you back 
On behalf of Police Off the Cuff, I wanted to say thank you for tuning in once again. And uh, we'll be back Monday with a brand new show. Thanks, Darren. Thank you. See you. Bye, Darren.